Well, I had a, I had a nice four-week uh, series planned. We just come out, came off of a really good one, um, Living Beyond Myself. You missed that. I encourage you to uh, listen to that uh, sermon series. It was all about uh, for us to serve, to give, and, and we are still cataloging those shape assessments. And if you didn't get one, please let us know. And then we'll mail those back to you. But it's just been uh, remarkable how many people filled that out. And then also in our uh, life hour at 9 o'clock, we are actually doing a, a kind of a deep dive in this whole area of spiritual gifts uh, led by Chip Ingram on a great DVD series. And we have discussion around tables. Please join us at 9 o'clock if you can come to that as well. But anyways, I had a nice four-week series plan on money, sex, and power. I take two weeks out of the year to plan uh, the sermon series, and it was all organized and ready to go. But I had this, this, this feeling that I felt God kind of tugging on my heart of doing something different, actually doing a book study. So um, I'll, I'll put the blame uh, squarely on God's shoulders. Uh, I switched gears, and we're going to do actually a study in the book of Galatians. And it's a book I have never preached on. I've preached parts of it, but I've never gone through the entire book. So in the next six weeks, we're going to be uh, in this New Testament book. So if you have, have your notes there, uh, you can follow along. And I'm going to go through some basic things in an overview. But before I do that, um, you, ever, you ever been in the middle of a circumstance or maybe in the middle of a game and all of a sudden the rules changed? You thought it was really unfair? I remember my, my, my kids were young. We were playing Monopoly. <clears throat> and uh, we kind of started out, and I'm very competitive. And my daughter said, you know, well, how, let's do this, Dad. Uh, new rules. Let's, let's, if you land on a one co- the one color group or a color group, no one else can buy the other uh, pieces of land except you. I was like, no, we're not doing that. That's, that. that's not the rules. And she's like, no, no, let's do that. It's, we started the game, and I had some land and stuff. She's like, no, no, let's do that. And then my son Alex, like, yeah, that's a great idea. And I said, okay, let's do a vote. I got voted out two to one. I lost. And I was like, and I, and I lost the game. My daughter won the game. And I felt like just like unfair no way. And sometimes we feel that at times. Even though my kids were eight and six and I felt like groaning them for two weeks for beating me in Monopoly. That's how I am. Uh, but, but we've been in circumstances like that where the rules change. Maybe you've been in a job or maybe you've been perhaps in a relationship or maybe it's something perhaps even in your bank and all of a sudden the rules change a little bit. You're like, it's, this is not fair. This is not fair. And that's exactly, that's exactly what Paul is feeling because uh, he had planted a handful of young churches in, in an area called Galatia. It's right by the Mediterranean Sea. And he had planted these churches, and they're all young churches. And all of a sudden, uh, the rules were changing in his churches because he had preached, obviously, the gospel. That's by grace we've been saved through faith. It's not from our own efforts. It's not our own. We can't earn it. And that was the gospel that Paul was preaching. And then all of a sudden, things started to change in those churches. And the rules kind of changed. And, and Paul was like, not fair. Uh, you can't do that. So let's dive into this ancient letter. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Again, we'll be following this, in this in the, over the next six weeks. And this is, we believe, one of the earliest books of the New Testament. It's kind of a toss-up between this and the gospel of Mark. This is one of the earliest books of the New Testament. And the first of 13 letters that Paul writes, Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Let me pray for us this morning. God in heaven, we have felt that at times where the rules change and we cry out and protest, not fair, no way. And we sense that from Paul 
in these young churches. Uh, things are changing, and, and he's crying that out, and he writes this letter as a response. I pray that you would use this book, this ancient book, uh, written around 50 AD or so, and that you would use these words to uh, impact us some 2,000 years later. Uh, these words are timeless. And I pray for uh, anybody in our congregation right now as well that maybe perhaps as we were singing, for them, they're in the middle of a tough circumstance and that for them just to simply say, it is well with my soul. To depend upon you that external uh, situations, I, things in their, li- their life, is, they're not going well and yet they can rest in you that they're here among God's people in this community and they can say, it is well with my soul. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Okay, let's take a look at, at Galatia. Oops. Let's can we f- can fast forward to Galatia. Dane? Uh, just the map. There we go. So that's, that's kind of the ancient uh, map that we have. And you see Galatia is actually quite large. And uh, there are a number of churches, and the, the lines you see there are the different missionary journeys that Paul had done. And you can see how much he traveled um, across the Greco-Roman world. And in Galatia, there were a number of young churches that, that he had planted. And he writes this letter, and some believe hey, he's actually writing this letter from uh, Ephesus. We're not exactly sure. Um, but he's writing to them, and he has a certain words to say. Let's jump into uh, verse 1. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. So it's a handful of churches spread out in Galatia. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. That word grace is going to be very important for us. Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Now he jumps in. This is an abrupt change right here. You can notice that um, actually in the uh, ancient Greek, you, you really notice it in the, in the manuscripts. I am shocked. I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You're following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. And then he gets really serious here. Let's God, let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven. Wow. He's serious. Who preaches a different kind of gospel. A different kind of good news, excuse me. That means the gospel than the one we preach to you. I say again, we have, have said it before. If anyone preaches any other good news that then the one you welcome, let that person be cursed. So he mentions curse twice. He's, he's a bit uh, upset here. Now, let's just break this down a little bit before we get into the, the contents of these nine verses. First of all, uh, audience. If you're teaching notes, uh, follow along. Well, actually, you have location in history. It's, it's the churches of Galatia. And then audience is this. Uh, Christianity began really as a Jewish movement because Jesus Christ and his disciples were Jewish. So it was a Jewish movement, and a lot of these young churches that Paul planted in Galatia and Ephesus and Thessalonica and Colossae, they, they were Jew, mostly Jewish believers there. So that's the audience that he's running to, is a mostly Jewish audience, Jewish believers. Those who came to Christ turned away from Judaism 
and accepted the grace and mercy found in Jesus Christ. And it was a radical change in their lives. As we talked in our adult ed class this morning, it was a radical makeover for them to do that. And for many, um, and, and I've seen this actually happen for those who uh, grew up Hindu or perhaps uh, Muslim, that when they come to Christ, a lot of times they're ostracized from their family. And that was very common back in that day for those who were uh, Jewish Christians that a lot of times their families would disown them and they would be left on their own and they would join this community. They would join this new community uh, within churches. That was actually one of the strengths of the early church. Now, circumstances. Uh, The circumstances were that the Jewish believers were um, giving in to uh, these opponents of Paul. Paul always had opponents wherever he went. And these are people outside of the church, and they were uh, spreading propaganda that Paul was making up something, and that the, Jew, uh, the Jewish believers, and, the, and especially the Gentile believers, needed to do something different than what Paul was talking about. They were saying, turn away from this grace, mercy, garbage. You, you need to go back. You need to go back to the Old Testament way. I'm going to talk more about that. And the author was Paul. And Paul, if he was standing right here right now, he would, uh, scholars believe, not a very impressive guy, very short, balding. Uh, one scholar actually described him as kind of a, a, a crooked nose. And yet, he didn't care about what people thought about him. And he says this in this passage right here. He goes, I don't care, you know, I'm not here to serve men. I'm not here to please men. I'm here to serve God. I can't tell me how many times, this is an aside, by the way, how many times I went back to that passage early in my preaching when I was so nervous to the point where I would... Um, uh, going backstage before I had to preach and almost throw up, that I, I would go over that verse over and over and over again, that I'm not here to please people, I'm here to please God. That's a very foundational verse for me. All right, let's go back to verse 1. Apostle is a very key word here. He says it right away. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. If you go through the other 12 letters, you don't see this opening from Paul. And he does that because the, the, those opponents outside of the churches in Galatia were saying that Paul is not really an apostle. Because apostle was a very sacred term. It was a very big term. Apostle meant one, one who was sent out by God himself. And we see, we see from Paul, he says exactly that. I'm an apostle. I, I was not appointed by a group of people or by human authority. Because that was his, what his, his opponents were saying is that he's, he's here as a so-called apostle. He calls himself but really, that sort of thing comes from his friends. It's not something that has come from God. It hasn't come from Yahweh. It hasn't come from Jesus Christ. He says it right away. But I'm apostle by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father. So what he's doing is creating a baseline in Galatians of the authority of him being an apostle. Okay, we don't have apostles today necessarily that are, are sent out by God himself, but in a, in a very similar way, we have something that's very authoritative, something that's sacred, that is given to us by God himself, and that is Scripture. And this is something that we ought to hang on to. It's, it's not simply written by humans, even though God used humans. It was under the superintendence, the leadership of the Holy Spirit and God, that brought about these words. In, in our culture today, and especially over the last 20 years, this, this book... This text has been under attack over and over and over again because one of the, one of the uh, loopholes they try to create for those who oppose the Scriptures, they say it's not authoritative. It simply comes from 
uh, men. Men were chauvinists back then, so it's definitely against women. And these are simply uh, merely words from human beings. We, we can't trust these. That's why it's so important for us to remember a verse like 2 Timothy 3.16. You, you may want to write that down if you're new to the Bible. It says that all of Scripture, all the Bible is God-breathed. The literal is exhaled. So like God exhaled his word to us. Old Testament and New Testament. And because of that, it's from God. It's from Jesus. Jesus who is the word. The, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And because of that, God's word has authority over our lives. And that's a question that we ought to ask ourselves. Very similar as we see Paul. He's an apostle. He has authority from God. We have the Bible. It has authority in our lives. But do we have certain areas in our life we kind of pull like the, the police, the, the yellow line, and say, no, th- this area of my life I, I don't place under the authority of God. This, this is mine. This is my area. And I'm not going to submit that to God. I encourage you this morning, I encourage you to actually open up your life, pull away the yellow tape and say, I want to make my life totally submitted to the authority of God and what he wants to do in my life. And, in, and as we're going to see over and over, the, the, the constant theme of Galatians is freedom. It's freedom. You'll notice in our graphic, it's a, a graphic of a, of a keyhole. And the idea, what Paul's trying to do, he's trying to free these young Christians in these churches in, in Galatia because of some circumstances I'll get to in a second. But God's word is authoritative. I'd like you to turn to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. And 1 Thessalonians is one of those books, it's, it's actually to your right, that's a little hard to find. It's like you're trying to find it, paging it through your Bible. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, another letter from Paul. Okay? If you read the beginning of this one, for example, um, it just starts out very typical of, of what Paul writes, and that's why Galatians is so singular and unique from the rest of his letters. But anyways, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. He writes this. Therefore, we never, stop God thank, we never stop thanking God that when you received this message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. Okay? It didn't come from people. It didn't come simply from humans. He says this. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of, of course it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. And that's, that's God's word. And it's mentioned actually twice. Underline that for you. The very word of God. Then he comes back to it. Excuse me. He says the very word of God, which of course it is. And he says again, and this word. And he's referring to the tradition of the gospel at that time, but also to the Bible. And that, that we believe that. God's word's important, and I, I just love the fact that it's mentioned twice. It's authoritative. Is my life, is my life exposed and opened up to the authority of God's word, even in the areas that I, or the verses I don't like? In the areas perhaps it's evil and suffering. It's an area of theology we call theodicy, when we hold that God is good, God is great. Thank you for my food. Amen. No, it's kidding. God is good. God is great. But also there's the reality of evil and suffering. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're in the midst of it right now. 
and perhaps you're like, well, my, my suffering isn't as bad as, as some people, but still, it's, it's your story, it's your experience, it's real. You're hurting. And we have these three, we try to hold these up, and what happens typically when we're suffering is that we tend to escalate the suffering or the evil, and we tend to de-escalate God's goodness or God's greatness. And the challenge as the people of God that when it comes to believing that God is good, God is great from the scriptures and that, that there is the reality of evil and suffering, is holding all three in tension. Yes, I'm suffering, but God is so good and God is so great. And, and holding all that together at the same time takes incredible amount of faith, but that's what faith is, the tension. It's standing in the tension of that. And that believing God's goodness and God's greatness will prevail in some way. Maybe in a way you can't imagine. But you trust God. You trust his word. It's authoritative. Now, let's go back to Galatians chapter 1 and take a look at verse 6. I am shocked. Circle that word shocked. I am shocked. It's very emphatic that you are turned away so soon from God. In other words, you're leaving so early. You're, you're, leaving, uh, you're leaving the faith so early. Again, these are young churches in Galatia. You're turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You're following a different way that pretends to be the good news. But it is not the good news at all. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. And, and, and what he's saying is that you, you, I, I'm so shocked that so early in the starting of this church, these churches, he says, that you're turning away from this gospel of grace and mercy. And all of a sudden, you're giving in. You're giving in to something else. How many of us in our own lives have been shocked by something? That all of a sudden, in the midst of something, something different occurred. Maybe it was in your family. You're just so shocked. All of a sudden, they just went in a diff, totally different direction. Like my sister-in-law and her family, where they um, estranged themselves, if that's, if that's a correct phrase, from our family for three years. When our kids were young, they, they just cut all ties. No Christmas, no Thanksgiving, no vacations. We used to do vacation together. And for three years, and my kids suffered from that. They missed their cousins. We had no connection, no tie, because of a very fixable conflict. And some of you, that's part of your story. And, and, and we were shocked by it. Shocked to the point where we had tears in our eyes. And I'm sure Paul had a very intimate relationship with these churches. And he's shocked by the fact that they're turning away. He's very concerned. That's why right away in the opening words, he comes out with his, his, how, how he's shocked by what's happening here. It's a different way. It's a different way. It mentions in verse 6 and 7. And then in your teaching notes, number 2, was Galatians so number one is what Galatians teaches us, the authority of Scripture. But number two is the reality of different Gospels. And that's what Paul is fighting against. And what was happening is that uh, these Jewish believers began to infiltrate the, the church, in, the churches in Galatia, and they were given in to Paul's opponents. And Paul's opponents are saying, okay, you know, this whole, this whole new church thing and all that, okay, uh, that's great, um, but you, you, to really be a true Christian, and, and this is what's for the Gentile believers, you've got to go back to the Old Testament and, and, and follow the 613 commandments. If you truly want to be a Christian, you have to go back to the, what's called the Law of Moses, and that's 613 commandments. 
And in case you've never read them before, I printed out 25 pages. List all 613 commandments. Let me read some for you. One of them is to love God, obviously. Okay. Next one is not to intermarry with Gentiles. That was part of the law. That was one of the 613 commandments. Not to curse a father or mother. That was one of them as well. And there's a whole bunch of them on incest. I think that would be very uh, common sense. Uh, Next, not to travel on the Sabbath outside the limits of one's place of residence. Next, not to eat a worm found in fruit. If you go to Mexico, no, just kidding. Um, not Not to boil meat with milk. That was a law. Okay, and it, it, it's just endless. Uh, next one, not to muzzle a beast while it's working in produce which it can eat and enjoy. Okay, not to swear needlessly, not to violate an oath or swear falsely, not to break a vow, not to hang out with people from Canada. Just kidding, <laughs> that's not in there. All right, but it, it's it's endless. It's endless. And what was happening is that is that these these Jewish believers gave in to these opponents and they started bringing this stuff in and saying, okay, uh, for us, you, you Gentile believers, if you want to be truly a, a Christian, you've got to follow all these. You can't eat the worm from the fruit. Uh, you can't leave your place of residence on the Shabbat or the Sabbath. This is endless, endless, endless laws. And, and Gentiles are confused by this. And Paul is trying to fight against this because the whole, the whole message of Christianity is one of grace and mercy. It's not about the law. It's to be freed. And what's happening in these churches in Galatia, they're, they're, they're sort of teetering on the precipice of actually imploding because this law, these law, 613 commandments, were beginning to really cloud over these churches. And these new Christians, these Gentile believers that were coming um, out of the woodwork, and, and they knew that message of grace and mercy, but all of a sudden they come into church, and pretty soon it's like, oh, no, no, you got to foul. It's like the ushers holding the 613 commandments as you walk in, and by the way, you need to follow these this week, this week. Can you imagine something like that? And Paul's fighting against that. And he says, that's, a, that's the reality of a different gospel. And I think in the same way, though, when it comes to Christianity, don't think for a second you and I are like free and clear of like any kind of legalism. Because I think too often in churches, we uh, pretty soon after being a Christian for a while, that Christian legalism can really filter in, just like the church in Galatia. I remember growing up, and I love the heritage of my small Baptist church in western Wisconsin. I've said this story many times. 20, 25 people on a good Sunday. And, but it was just a very tight-knit group. But there were certain rules, certain uh, laws, so to speak, legalisms, that were known in our fundamental Baptist background. And I had to kind of deprogram myself as I made my way to college. But things like, you know, I, we couldn't dance. And we couldn't watch most shows on television. Like, this is, I'm dating myself, but Happy Days is, was risque. Okay, WKRP in Cincinnati was way out there. Can't watch that. Okay? And we couldn't play cards. Uh, no alcohol. And, pretty, and I was growing up in this, I felt like so much of the Christian faith was what I couldn't do. And, my, and my, the thought in my head as a young, young boy, what can I do? 
What can I do? And that's what happens with legalism. And we have legalism, I think, in, in a number of ways. Here's, I got this off a great website just on how Christian legalism can happen. And this, I think, for you to listen to this and ask yourself the question, is this something I do? And say, God, free me. Just like the Galatians, like Paul, free me from this. I believe that God loves me more when I behave. I entirely avoid alcohol, makeup, or jewelry out of fear of condemnation. My good friends are all from one church or denomination. When I miss a Sunday service, I feel guilty. Actually, delete that one. You should feel guilty. (laughs) Job security. (laughs) When I sin, I feel guilty even after I ask God to forgive me. How many of us? It just hangs with us. And, And the devil wants that, he wants that seed of guilt to stay in there. And I've mentioned this before. One writer says that, that guilt and shame are the great paralyzers of our faith. And if, if you can feel guilty about when the times you for, when you ask for forgiveness, um, I, I think Satan has a hold. When, some, when someone gives me a gift or does, does something kind for me, I feel unsettled until I can do the same thing for them. I believe that God is most glorified through my preferred style of music. I've had several conversion experiences, but I still doubt my salvation. Now, it might be you this morning, that you're locked, you're imprisoned, that, that you've given yourself into a different kind of gospel, because that is not the gospel. I like to make an example out of wrongdoers. I feel unlucky or cursed if I skip Bible reading or prayer. And here's one. I believe that God is more like a policeman and less like a fireman. And your view, your concept, your word, your idea for God, says A.W. Tozer, is the most important word, concept, idea that you have in your entire life. And maybe some of us really need to move away from seeing God as this policeman who's going to pull us over, the siren's going to be going off, but that he's actually a fireman. He's here to rescue us. And, and Paul is trying to do that with these, uh, these early churches in Galatia. He's trying, he's trying to free them. He's trying to rescue them from a different gospel. Like verses 8 through 9 in chapter 1. Paul gets a little bit ticked off here. Let, let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one who preached to you. Good news, you can, you can simply draw a line to that. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace. I say again that we have said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcome, let that person be cursed. He mentions curse twice. What it actually means in the, in the Greek, eternal condemnation or eternal damnation. He's not holding back because Paul is very clear on the gospel, the gospel of grace. And that was very important to the beginnings of Christianity. And you might be asking yourself, what is, what is the gospel? What is the good news? I, you know, I hear different preachers, different sermons, but I want to just make it really simple. And it's in another letter from Paul, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. God saved you by his grace. You can't merit it. I was getting my hair cut yesterday by a new hairstylist, and she, she, she asked me what I did, and I told her, and all of a sudden, and I told her I was doing a wedding. I did a wedding last night, and, and she's like, oh, man, a lot of pressure on me to cut your hair. 
Anyways, all of a sudden, like within two minutes of the conversation, so tell me about the Scientology stuff with Tom Cruise and John Travolta. I'm like, whoa, where'd that come from? All right. Um, and, and one of the things that, about Scientology, if you don't know much about that, but also the major world religions, it's all based on works. It's all about, in a different version, a bunch of commandments that you have to follow. And, and, and Paul says, no, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift. You can't do anything to earn it. It's a gift. Salvation is not a reward for good behavior, for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Isn't that beautiful? And my prayer is, and this church has been so centered on this gospel of grace over the last 30 years, and my prayer is that it continues for the next 30 years doing the same thing. That we hold up this gospel of grace and we don't fall into different kinds of gospels, different rules, different legalisms. That when people come through the front doors, that they feel freedom. They feel freedom. They feel freedom to be who they are right now. And that God loves them. And that love can't be taken away. But God loves them so much, he's not going to leave them there. It's not rules. It's not regulations. It's the grace of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Let me pray. God, this word grace has been around for a long time. As Philip Yancey writes in What's So Amazing About Grace, it's our last best word. And it is the word, it is the concept, it is the message that differentiates Christianity from anything else. It's not about a religion. It's about a relationship. With Jesus Christ, who freely gave his life on the cross, he died. Three days later, God raised him from the dead so that we would have a relationship with him. And he did it freely. And he did it as a gift to us to change our lives. I pray for those here that are here this morning that may have not received that gift of grace that this morning they would. Maybe this is the first time they've actually understood what it is. It's not by merit, it's not by efforts, but it's simply to receive. And God, as we think about that, I think it shocks us. It shocks us in a good way that, that you're a God who loved us so much, even while we were in sin, that you gave your son on the cross to take away all our sins, past, present, future, and that we would be free people. And God, as a community, we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.